Well, good morning. Good to be here, and uh, thank you so much for your uh, welcome this morning. Thank you, Jenny, for that, and for you, and for the applause. Wasn't expecting that, never get it, so nice to have it for whatever reason. So thank you for that very much indeed. Um, it's a really funny thing, but um, sometimes I walk up and down the high street, usually going for something, uh, not just wandering aimlessly, but walking up and down the high street, and sometimes I bump into people from Southside, uh, and sometimes I don't, just the way it happens. And uh, this week has been one of those weeks when I've actually bumped into a few people from Southside. And uh, so I want to apologise to you if you happen to be one of those that I bumped into and didn't tell you I was coming to preach here. That was quite deliberate. Um, but for the ones that I did bump into and actually said, I'm coming here to Southside, well, it's your own fault. Can't, <laughs> cannot blame anybody else but yourself. Uh, it's a real privilege. And I really thank uh, Nick and the leadership for allowing me to come and uh, speak here this morning. Uh, as preachers would do, um, they would pray, hopefully, about what God would want them to say uh, to them, and then hopefully through them to other people, and I've done that this morning. And it, it's really, really interesting because the, the, the verses we're going to look at, uh, hopefully if you've got your Bible or a phone or tablet or something like that, uh, will be incredibly familiar to you, as they are to me. I don't think there'll be probably anybody in the room that hasn't heard this story before. And so for that reason, um, I really kind of fought almost with God to say, no, there's got to be something else than that, because it's so familiar. You know, anybody could stand up here and, and preach this sermon, and yeah, we'd go away thinking, well, yeah, we knew that story anyway, so thanks very much. So it's that kind of story. But the more I thought about it, and the more I prayed about it, and the more I deliberated over it, and the more I said to God, God, there's got to be something else, the more he kept saying, that's what I want you to say. And that's the passage I want you to read. And even this morning, there were things on uh, whatever channel it was we were watching, and, you know, God channel or whatever this morning before we came out, that actually quoted these verses, and I'm thinking, okay, God, I get it. I get it. So I better just speak about it and share. And I was reminded last night, actually, that this was the very first um, passage of Scripture, and I was going to say sermon, it's not the same sermon, but very first passage of Scripture that I preached on almost 50 years ago. Obviously, I was very young. Incredibly young at that stage. Um, and I'm sure there's no connection with the fact that the church I preached in closed down a few years ago. I don't think it was anything to do with me. But I do remember one thing about it. It was my very first sermon, kind of 16-year-old, you know, put you on a platform, get you preaching. And uh, I was given half an hour to preach, and I chose this passage. I- I'm certain I dried up after 10 minutes. You might want to pray that. that, that it may well happen again. God, do it again, some of us might say. But I don't think so. I think we're going to be here a bit longer than 10 minutes. A little bit. So, what is the passage? It's Luke chapter 15. That gives you a bit of a clue, okay? Um, And we're going to look at the particular story about that would be commonly known as the prodigal son. Uh, It's known as other things to different people. But that's the passage. So, just me mentioning that name to you and that title, most of you will think, well, I know the story. I know what happened. I know what the boy did, I know what the father did, I know what the older brother did, you know, got all that. Poor calf that was killed, and you might want to go that level if you're a vegetarian. But, you know, it's it's that kind of story that's dead easy to remember um, and to talk about. But it's just been so much in my heart this week that I couldn't do anything else but just, well, read it and share a few thoughts with you uh, about the passage. So... um, Let's read it together. Uh, We're not going to read the whole of Luke chapter 15. Sorry, I think I might be wandering in and out here of this microphone. So I'll try and at least keep my head steady. My feet might wander elsewhere, but I'll try and keep my head 
behind this microphone. Luke chapter 15, and um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into the chapter at verse 11, and we will read to the end. It's uh, 20 or so verses. So Jesus continued his story. He had already told two stories. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Very familiar story. But the reading of it is, uh, is always worthwhile. It's always good to read scripture because sometimes we read very familiar things and something comes out of it, something jumps out of us that they would either had missed or it's just relevant for us right now today. It may not have been relevant for us a year ago in our circumstances, but right now today it's relevant. And, and, and that's the thing that's been kind of keeping me going this week more than anything else. That God knows you better than I know you. God knows me better than I know me. And for that reason, I'm hanging on to the fact that God has got something to say this morning to you. So I'm going to ask that you pray along with me right now. A very simple prayer. It's actually only seven words. And it's from the Old Testament. And this is how it goes. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. It's only seven words. It's not hard to remember it. So would you do that? Would you pray out loud with me just now as we say those words? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I want to hear what God has to say this morning. I don't want to hear what Colin has to say. I want to hear what God has to say to me this morning. And sometimes just reading the word of God, just reading the Bible, is is it in that sense. It's his word. It's the infallible word of God. It's, It's the word of God that God decided he wanted written down. 
wasn't just there as a book to be referred to now and again. It's a book that's there because he wants to speak to us and he wants to speak to us all the time. We know that, that there are those 66 books and, and every one of them has got meaning and purpose and things to say to us in our situation. So we need to read it on a regular basis, at least daily, if not more than once a day. We need to read through it. We need to listen to what God's saying to us as we read. And this morning it's been quite deliberate for me to read that passage because I think it's so important that we hear what God, God has to say to us through his words. So the title I've given it is uh, the Father Heart of God uh, from Luke chapter 15. We've already done that. Let me give you just a little context to the background of the story again. This may be totally familiar to you, but it does no harm going through it. And I'm relying on Hugh to click the slides on at this stage. So the first thing about the story is that uh, the religious people of the day were attacking Jesus. They were really getting at him. Jesus had already said in, in Luke's gospel, the one that we read here, way back in a few chapters before, he'd already said that the religious leaders and teachers were people that needed to get their life sorted out because they were more concerned about how they looked and how they behaved than anything else. And so here we find at the beginning of this chapter, the beginning of this story, we find these very self-same people really trying to get at Jesus. They did it in a number of ways. They spoke against him. They spoke out against him. Sometimes people really ganged up on him. There were times when they tried to physically harm Jesus. They did eventually harm him, we know that, by getting him to go and be on a cross and to die for us. And that was their purpose in life, really to pull this man down. They really wanted to get at him, and so that's what they did. And so Jesus was confronted with these people, these religious teachers, these Pharisees, these people who knew the law, they knew the religion of the day, they knew what they knew themselves, and they felt that what they knew was right and everybody else was wrong. And this young man coming along to try and use up their authority and to go against their teaching and actually speak into their lives was something they did not like. And so the first thing that happens is that Jesus recognizes these people are here to attack me. And that's what they did uh, verbally. Second thing that we notice is that Jesus handled their criticism. He didn't walk away from it. He didn't turn his back on it. Um, what he did was, and in in, in how, in, how he handled the criticism, was to, to handle it by telling them stories. We would know them as parables, uh, real stories about real life issues, but actually told in a way that, that had really deep meanings. And so the three stories that Jesus told, the three parables here in this chapter, actually tell us something amazing. And it's amazing because it's about the Father heart of God. And that's what Jesus wanted to get to. So when these people were criticizing him and, and really you know, throwing every insult they possibly could at him, Jesus responded by saying, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you about my father. Let me tell you about who he is. Let me tell you about what he does. Let me tell you how he behaves. That's what he did to disarm them because they couldn't come against the relationship that Jesus had with his father. And so he told them story upon story upon story. These were the self-same people who had, by this time, seen Jesus performing miracles. The feeding of the 5,000, just as one example. People being healed. They had seen him doing that. And yet they still didn't like him. They didn't want him around. They'd heard Jesus telling other parables. Still didn't like him. So now he says, okay, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to tell you three stories. And they're all about the Father heart of God. Some things, in this case some person who was lost and came back, they were found. And in this case found by his human father. 
third thing that the context is that it tells us who Jesus spent his time with. Jesus really wasn't um, overly fussed about spending time with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Didn't really float his boat to go around with these people. What did get him? What did excite him? What did energize him? Was spending time with people that other people ignored or rejected or didn't want anything to do with. The lost, the last, the least, whatever phrase you want to use about them. Jesus wanted to spend time with these people because he saw in them an honesty. He saw in them people that were willing to learn and to listen. He saw in them people who knew in themselves that their lives had to change. And so that's why he spent time with them. And he's telling them here, at the beginning of this particular story, he's telling them, these are the people I like to spend time with. And yet you don't like it. You criticize me for it. Well, so be it, he says. Let me go on and tell you the stories Jesus said to them. So let's move into our story. So it's, it's called the prodigal story, the prodigal son, story about the father, whatever you want to call it. We know the gist of the story already that we've read. First thing we want to realize in this story is about the actual father of the son. He, he handled his children incredibly graciously. There were situations where we understand that this, this would be a, a fairly well-to-do family, fairly wealthy family. Um, there would be a mother and father, two sons in this particular case, but they had, um, they had servants uh, on this farm, and so it would be a pretty well-to-do family. And, um, and all of a sudden, the, the two boys were about to give them some grief, one in the start of the story and one towards the end of the story. But he handles them graciously. He doesn't deal with them in a punishing way. Let me just get you to think about this, not just in in the sense of the the human story here, the father and the son's story here, but think about it as well in parallel about our heavenly father and how he deals with me when I get it wrong or when I say the wrong things or when I turn my back on him or when I disagree with him. Does he deal with me in a punishing way? Often he deals with me in the most gracious way. There are times when he brings things across my life just to make me stop and think about what I'm doing. And it's like, oh, okay, I get it, God. You don't need to tell me anymore. But he's a gracious Heavenly Father. Many of you know, I'm not going to go into the story because the vast majority of you know the story, that, that my son-in-law was brought up as a Muslim and he, he had the, the big issue in his life really, when he started to think about God, was that how could God, the God that we're talking about here, the God of the Bible, be a God of love and not a God of punishment? He was brought up to believe that God was. Many people believe that that if I step out of line, then God's going to punish me and going to deal really harshly with me if I get things wrong. That's not the God of the Bible, I have to tell you. doesn't mean that he turns a blind eye when we get it wrong. Of course he doesn't. He'll bring things into our life to make us stop and think and maybe even to turn around in our lives. But he's a gracious father. He's a gracious heavenly father. And it's typified uh, in this story incredibly well. But verse 13, we discover that the youngest son actually treats his father really selfishly. Utterly selfishly. I mean, this this was a a wealthy family, a well-to-do family. He had kind of everything going for him as the son of the father who owned everything before their eyes, and yet he decides that, you know, there's something bigger, there's something greater, there's somewhere else that I can go and, and really live life to the full. 
And there are so many people like that today. You know them as well as I do. And, and, and they're not satisfied with what they've got. They want, they, there's always more, as it were. And so that's what happened to this, this boy here. He decided he was for off. He decided he was going to uh, move out of the family house and, and go to actually to a different country. Not even just down the road, not even just a few miles away, but actually to a different country with all that was entailed in that. Um, and, and things that would be entailed in that would potentially be he would have to learn a new language when he went to a different country. He would have to learn a different culture. He would have to be accepted. Now, my guess is that with lots of money as he had, because it seems as if that anything he was given by his father, he, he changed into, into cash so he could take it with him. So he, he would have plenty of money with him. So when we've got plenty of money, then it's not hard to get friends, as he discovered, at least for a short time, until the money ran out. And so off he went with what his father had given him. And just for context, we probably know this as well, but in those days what happened was that all the household goods, everything that belonged on the estate, would be split between, in this case, the two boys. And it would be split this way. The oldest boy would get two-thirds, and the youngest boy would get one-third. So he was going with a third of all that he could see. The father said, okay, I'll, I'll... I'll break it down to a point where we've got everything worked out so you can get exactly what's due to you. And so off he went with this third of the estate to go and do whatever he wanted to do. Incredibly gracious of his father to let him go. He must have been weeping buckets, I'm sure. And probably, you know, the boy's mum was just crying into her pillow every night as to what has he done? Why would he do that? What, are we bad parents that he wants to get away from us? All of that kind of stuff. But off he went to do it. And it was hurtful. And I think something similar there with us in terms of us turning our back in God. We know that God is a God of love. We know that God really loves us. Unconditionally loves us. And we turn our back in him and we, we move away from him. We say, actually, I'm going to have time out from God. I'm actually going to move away from God. I actually met a couple uh, not so very long ago. And, and as I was chatting to them, they were, they were both brought up in the church and uh, went to church every week. Um, went through, you know, Sunday school, Bible class, whatever, went through all of that. And I, I met them as a, a married couple one day, and I was just asking, I hadn't seen them for a while, and I just said to them, you know, about life, you know, how are things going, what's happening? And I just dropped into that whole bit church, because I wasn't quite sure which church they were going to. You know their response? Um, well, we're taking a year out from God. I kind of wanted to say, I hope God doesn't take a year out from you. That'd be pretty sore on them. But they were going to take a year out from God, they said. Um, the sad thing is that was a few years ago, and as far as I'm aware, they haven't come back to church or anything like that. This guy decided that he had had enough. He was off. And so off he went with everything that he possibly could take with him. But he, as we'll discover in verse 14 to 16, we discover there that he got his comeuppance. Forgive me if you're an English teacher. I've no idea how to spell comeuppance. That's just what... <laughs> Kind of takes me back to my 11 plus, really. Um, I've never forgotten it, and I'll probably never be allowed to forget it either. Um, that in my 11 plus, I had one of those, men- well, at least one, maybe more, but certainly one mental block. And the answer to the question was example. It sounds very simple now, easy. I had no idea how to spell example. I just, mental block, couldn't spell example. And I wrote E G G S E M P L E. Because it was the nearest I can get. Well, it's kind of like that. We come up with no idea how to spell it. Didn't even bother looking it up. I thought I'll just, I might just waken somebody up at this stage anyway. So, 
Well, he got his comeuppance. He, he, you know, he went and he discovered that actually when his money ran out, his friends ran out as well. Because he went round to different people and nobody wanted anything to do with him. He asked for a job, couldn't get it. Got a job eventually. Jewish boy in a pig farm, not the best ideal kind of job altogether, but that's what happened to him. That was the best he could get. He had no food in his stomach and he ate what the pigs were eating. You know, all of that stuff. It was pretty bad. We know that. And so what does he do? Well, he begins to rehearse something. He practices his repentance prayer to his father. And he starts to go through it in his mind as to what am I going to say? I'm going to go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer willing to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he rehearsed it and he rehearsed it and he rehearsed it. He had very little else to do. So he just rehearsed that repentance prayer that he would go back to his father at that stage he had no idea whether he was going to be accepted back or not no idea whether his father was going to be opening up the door and letting him back in whether they were going to say actually son no we've we've really got over you you've hurt us so badly we really don't want anything to do with you he had no idea whether that was the case or not it was possible but he prepared himself for going back and what he was going to say when he got back round that corner and saw the farm and saw his father, hopefully, standing, waiting for him. The story goes on, and verse 20 to 24 tells us about his father's unconditional love. Part of the story, as well, if we dig into the background, would be along these lines. That if a, if a son left a household, deliberately left, and took possessions with him, then coming back to that community, he would not be accepted by the community. The community leaders would say, we know what you've done, you've hurt the family, you've hurt the community, therefore, if you are coming back, then you'll come back as a hired servant. That's, that's as, as much as you're going to get out of this. That's what happened in those days. So he knew this, this boy knew this, that coming back, that there was every possibility that his father and mother and the community leaders would say to him, okay, we know what you've done, we're glad you're back, but actually you're going to be a hired servant. That's it. So he knew that, and he knew that was the, the consequence of what he had done. But actually what he discovered was that as he turned that final corner, having walked back, having maybe cadged a lift with somebody somewhere along the way in whatever vehicle they had, whatever animal he could sit on the back of. He got back home, terrified as to what he was going to find, but still rehearsing this repentance prayer. And as he turned that corner, we know what happened, because we've read it, and we know the story, that his father ran to him with open arms, flung his arms round him, and welcomed him back. Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer willing. Hang on, son. Hang on, stop. Don't say any more. I don't need to hear any more. You're coming back. And we're going to do something for you, the like of which you could never imagine. Didn't even let him finish that well-rehearsed prayer that he had. Didn't let him, didn't let him complete it. Because he was so glad to have him back. The possibility is, well, on two counts. One is that this father 
had gone out to the corner, the furthest corner of the field where he could see the road coming. He'd gone out there every day to look for his son. And every day he'd come back in at night, head down, telling his wife, he's not coming back today. Every day back out there again, back into the corner of the field, looking as far as he could. Every day he came back, he's not coming back today. Until that day happened, when he saw him coming. So he ran, he welcomed him. It would be undignified. And uh, men in that culture would wear long robes. And uh, he would have to hitch up his robe. uh, So his legs would be showing. And that was regarded as incredibly undignified. Still is today, but that's another story altogether. But very undignified for for a Jewish man to be doing that. But he did it, because it was his son. And he, was, he, he didn't care about anybody else. But notice as well from something I said earlier on, that the leaders of the community would know that that boy was back. And it totally negated what they would normally have done to say, okay, you need to work as a hired servant. Because his father had superseded it. His father had taken over and said, it's okay, son. Come back. You're back into the fold again. Forget about the hired servant bit. You're back as my son. The other thing about it I'd want to say is about the calf. And so probably, we're told, probably every week the butcher would come from the local village to see what cows, what calves he could take to be slaughtered and to be sold. And every week he would come and ask the farmer for that calf. It's looking good. You haven't sold it to me yet. That's the one I want. And every week, the father would say, nah. Now, you can take other ones. You can take that one. You can take that one. You can take that But don't take that one. And every week, that calf would be fattened up a bit and fattened up a bit and fattened up a bit in the hope that your son will come back one day. And that's the one that's going to be so fat. <laughs> that's the one that's going to be ready for my son when he comes home. And that's the one that was killed, the slaughtered, was sacrificed to put on the best meal that the father could ever possibly give to the son who had gone so far but had come back and in his words was dead as far as the family and community was concerned but now he's alive he was lost nobody knew where he was or what he'd gone up to but he's been found again real cause for joy in the family that day he comes back and there's a big brother I've never been a big brother I've always been a wee brother always been rebellious I relate more to one of these brothers than the others you can decide which one it is but there was an older boy and he was faithful he was steady he was your Mr. Dependable he was the one that was there day in and day out helping with the farm helping the farmers helping the, the hired hands helping everything And he found out that his wee brother was back. And just incredible jealousy came over him. Why would you look after him when he's done everything wrong and I've done nothing wrong, he says. Why would you do that? I don't think it was unfair of him to say that, if you'd allow me to say it. I think it was a pretty natural reaction to have at that moment in time. And yet we discover that when he gets back, his dad, he says this to his dad, and his dad looks at him. And you could see him putting his arm round the older boy and saying, 
son. <laughs> you're still my son. You're the oldest son. You've been here through thick and thin. You've seen the comings and goings. You've heard your mum and me crying over your wee brother. It's okay. It's okay. You're here. And you're part of this family. You're a significant part of this family. And he had compassion on him. And his older son. Let me do one more thing. And then... I just want to say a couple of things after this. So, in a sense, there's, a, there's kind of three take-home messages from this this morning. There are many more, but three that I want us to think about. Number one is that Jesus can handle criticism. You know, if you're sitting here this morning and you think, you know, I've got so many things I want to ask God. I'm not sure about this, that, and the other thing. What about that area of the world? What about that injustice? What about this? Ask him. Ask him about it. Don't be afraid to ask God whatever is on your heart to ask the Psalms are full of psalmists who actually had a go at God in some ways, in pretty dramatic ways as well. Did God strike them off? No, he didn't. And he'll not do the same with you. He won't strike you off. So don't be afraid to, to say things. I spent, um, it's, it's at a different level altogether, but I spent uh, some time with, with a guy this week who for years, probably three, four years or so, has harbored real grudges and issues in his life and we met for for a chat this week and and one of the things I said to him was you know okay just just I didn't say you know um, just vent your spleen but that's really what I meant just just tell me if you want if you feel you want to just share some stuff you know do it and he did he just went for it Fortunately, it wasn't against me but he just he went for it and I, I really didn't have anything to say I didn't have you know I didn't have all the answers that you know pastors are supposed to have I didn't, and I, but I just listened to him, and I kind of nodded at the right times and shook my head at the right times and, you know, did all the things that I do. And he said to me, he said, I feel so much better. Huh? Really? And then he went on to say, I, th- I think for the first time I've actually been able to tell somebody what's going on in here. That's a tiny, tiny, probably quite a poor example of what it is to talk to God. Actually... Sometimes when we, when we tell God and we tell him how we're feeling and we're feeling, you know, this is rubbish and things could be a lot better, actually sometimes that's enough for us because we've got it off our chest and we've told him. Sometimes, you know, he'll actually answer us and he'll bring people across our path that give us an answer or say things to us that really help us and encourage us. God can handle criticism. Jesus showed us what his father was like. This is a remarkable story we're reading this morning. He showed us what his father's like. He's a God of compassion. He's a God who cares for us. He's a God who looks out for us. He's a God who actually, actually will hold his arms out to us when we come back to him. I think, if you don't mind me saying that, and I hope it's not too irreligious to say, I think there are times when God actually runs towards us when we make a step to go towards him. I think that's what he does. Why else would Jesus tell this story? about what actually this father in this story actually did. And why does he do it? He does it because he loves us. I'm sure everybody's told you that already, but I want to tell you again this morning. God loves you. He absolutely loves you. And it's an unconditional love. It's a love that will never fade. It's a a love that's not dependent on how good you are or even how bad you are. He loves you. 
He loves you the way you are. He doesn't want you to stay the way you are, the way I am. He wants us to move on and to grow and to be better and to be better disciples of him. Of course he does. But he loves us with that incredible love. A bit like the father here that Jesus was talking about who, who just wept over, over his son and longed for his son to come back. And the final thing I want to say this morning is this. There's always a way back to God. We put the barriers up. We think, you know, if I, if I come back to God, is, is, is God going to raise the issues with me of the things that I've done, the things that I've said, places I've been, how I've behaved? Well, I don't read that in the story. I don't read that's what the father did. That he sat his son down and said, right, before we eat that calf, you tell me every single thing you've done. I don't think that's how God operates. If it's an unconditional love, then it's not based on the bad stories, the good stories, the dealing with things. Not at all. He wants us to come as we are. So we're maybe afraid sometimes of what God might say. We might even be afraid of what somebody else might say. You know, I think it's one of the biggest tricks of the devil today. That he plants in our mind this thought, what would other people think? If I do something, what would other people think? If I behaved in a way that I believe God's asked me to behave and do something, what would other people think? I think that trips so many Christians up, to be honest with you. I think we need to put that stuff to the side. And then there's another one, of course, which is, well, it's me. Maybe this is just another phase I'm going through. If I come back to God, if I give him my life again, if I say, God, I'm here, I'm open, I'll do whatever you want, is that just going to wear off after two or three days? Somebody said to me about nine months ago, somebody who is desperate for God, desperate to do things for God, desperate to walk close to God, desperate to see God's spirit moving in their lives. They said, but what happens when it fades? What happens when it disappears? My answer, one of my answers to that person was to say it doesn't need to. It's not something that needs to come for a week and then disappear. This can be a change of life that can just be forever. It's a story that's familiar to you. It's a story you won't forget, not because I've preached it, but because you've probably not forgotten it for years. You've remembered it. And if somebody had stopped you in the street and said, what's the basics of the prodigal son, you would be able to tell them. But I just suspect this morning that there's some things that either deliberately or inadvertently I've said that God wanted you to hear this morning. So what do we do about it? You see, what happened with this young guy was that nothing really happened until, as the Bible said, as we read it, he came to his senses. In other words, he stopped himself and said, wait a minute, where am I going in life? That's a, that's a question I want to throw out to you this morning. Where are you going in life? Some of you are just about as old as me, and so you've been around churches about as long as I have. And it can become a habit, a good habit, but a habit of routine that we go to church and we expect the same things and we sing some of the same songs. Fortunately, we've got folks like Jenny around that will refresh the song list and all that kind of stuff. But you know what I mean? We, go through, we can go through the motions. I don't really think that's what Christian discipleship is about. I think it's about constantly growing and developing and moving on and becoming more of what God wants us to be. I do. I honestly believe that with all my heart. Am I a good example of that? No, I'm not. I'm no better than anybody else. I'm still struggling at times to grow and to be more like Jesus.
But he wants us to do that. But you know when it starts? It starts exactly where that guy started. By doing something about it and saying, actually, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back to my father. There's a wonderful phrase. It's used about 40 times throughout the whole of the Bible. If you're into that kind of stuff and want to look it up, please look it up. You'll not forget the phrase. It's only two words. And it's these. But God. One of the stories is about Joseph in the Old Testament. And after horrendous life, really, he eventually had this amazing turnaround where he was made the head of the land. And as he's there, as the, the head of the land, his, his brothers, his older brothers came to visit him. The older brothers didn't know this was their young son that they'd tried to kill years before. Thought he was dead. But they came, and they came into a room, and it was just Joseph and his brothers. And Joseph says to them, you know, you meant it for evil, all the things that you've done to me. But God meant it for good. That's only one of the times. There's about 39 other times. Look them up yourself. There is a but God in here. You might be thinking to yourself, God can never use me. If you knew my life, Colin, you would know that. God probably knows my life and therefore I couldn't be used. I couldn't do anything for him because of the things I've done, things I've said, places I've been, all that kind of stuff. Can I just say to you, but God, God can take whoever and turn us around and do things with us, the like of which we never thought possible. You might be saying, Colin, this is, this is life for me. This is what I do. This is the church I come to. This is the things I'm involved in and stuff like that. You know, I'm not sure that I could do any more. I'm not sure I could move on with God. But God can do something in your life that only he can do, not you and I by striving and struggling can do. I'm just asking you this morning to think, as I've been thinking all this week, what else can I do for God that's not going to involve me striving and struggling that actually just says, God, I'm just coming back to you and you do whatever you want in my life. That's a statement that says, I'm really not that bothered what other people think. I'm not that bothered what kind of life I'm living. I'm really not that bothered about what I think about myself. I'm really saying, God, I'm giving myself over to you in the same way that this young guy did. I'm going to ask that we pray just now. Uh, at the same time, I'm going to ask that the worship team come up and be ready to lead us in our final worship song. And then we'll have a final prayer, benedictory prayer. Um, as the worship team come up just now, can I ask that we stand so that we're ready to go into this worship time? Um, can I ask as well that if you... If you want to do something about what we've talked about this morning, and it's not about me, it's not about the preacher, you know that as well as I do. But if God has been stirring something in your heart, and it may not just have been this morning, it may have been for some time, no idea about that. But if God's been saying something to you and you think, you know, yeah, I do, I want to come back to God, I want to, I want to give my life over to him again, or I want to get things sorted out. You know, there's some, I read a phrase recently that said, why would you leave church with the same issues that you came into church with? Why would we leave church? Well, those things that we brought into church with us that are really troubling us. So maybe it's a time for some of us to actually get somebody to pray over our lives and pray into our lives. 
There's no magic wand in this kind of stuff. This is just getting alongside people who just want to pray for us. So if that's you this morning, if you really want to have that time with God, you know, I couldn't help think, but think this week over and over again about Billy Graham and about just, I mean, somebody said to me years ago, you know, if Billy Graham talked about gardening, people would come forward and give their life to Jesus. It was kind of like that in some ways. Just incredible, really, altogether. But it was just because people were at that place at that time that they said, I want to do something about this now. This is my moment. I'm no Billy Graham, never will be. But maybe this is the time. Maybe this is your moment to say, you know what? I'm really not bothered what other people think. I'm really not bothered what I think about myself. I know that God loves me and God wants to use me and speak into my life and deal with some of the things that are in my life. So if that's you, would you, as we begin to sing this song, would you just come forward and just sit at the front, stand at the front, whatever you want to do. There are folks here uh, that will just be, just count it such a privilege to pray with you this morning, if that's your situation. Please just do that. And then we'll finish in prayer after that. Thanks, Jenny.